Hello, welcome to another Pharmacy Practice podcast. Very good uh, friend and colleague on on the podcast today who I'm intrigued to have a chat with. Um, Gavin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello, I'm Gavin Birchall. I am a pharmacist. Uh, I've been a pharmacist for around about 20 years and worked across a wide range of uh, roles in the profession. Um, I guess I'm uh, most known for being an operator in pharmacy, um, having built a pharmacy uh, group from zero to 20 pharmacies with, with a team over sort of seven years. Um, I've done a master's in graphic design, which is quite an unusual uh, avenue for a pharmacist, I'm told, and did the first research into the brand of pharmacy during that, um, during that uh, study. And now I run a company which supports um, pharmacists and pharmacy companies with marketing and branding. I'm intrigued to chat to you, Gavin. Um, thank you Good. for taking the time. Tell me, what what is a pharmacist? Well, that's a fantastic question, and um, it's it's actually a, a question I've, I've been asking people um, earlier in 2019 um, to try and understand from a number of different perspectives what a pharmacist is. And the reason why I, I'm asking that question is um, because I think it's really important in terms of how pharmacists are perceived, um, how we're perceived by customers and, and patients dictates how they, um, what they present to us in terms of requests for help um, and how we're perceived by um, commissioners and politicians uh, influences how they look to us as part of the jigsaw of, of, of healthcare in, in the country and how we might meet some of the country's health needs. Um, so it's a great question and, and um, you know, I haven't got the answer as yet. <laughs> I think um, I've got a lot of research and I've got hundreds of opinions from, from people in, the, in the, uh, the public of all different ages and from a lot of different pharmacists from the UK and around the world. Mm. So I'm looking forward to, to writing that up um, as a book next year and, um, and publishing my thoughts. Excellent. I look forward to that. And that, I mean, that, that was a, that was quite a tidy segue into promoting your book for next year. <laughs> I'll be, uh, I'll certainly be on the list to to buy it. And, um, and I, I read your last one with interest. Um, Good. As well. It is a pretty important question, though. Just just to sort of elaborate on why why I've asked that question, because on on first impressions, it can seem like a really simplistic and and um, and. Uh, and a narrow question. Um, of course, we all know what a pharmacist is. Um, many of us are pharmacists. We work alongside them every day. You know, we studied for X many years, et cetera, et cetera. But our view of what a pharmacist is and the view of um, the people we care for and the view of the people who commission us and pay us to provide the services we do doesn't always match. Um, and it's one uh, that's something that's that struck me over the the years that I've I've been in pharmacy, not least through um, through my own experiences as as, um, as somebody running a pharmacy company and, and going into meetings with with other healthcare professionals, sitting down and being aspirational and passionate about driving driving healthcare forward in that locality and and literally hitting a brick wall in terms of the desire to collaborate and the desire to work together. Um, which is largely down to the fact that you know the people, um, stake our stakeholders perceive us in one specific way, which is a long-established view, and that is often a barrier to us to enabling us to to work together. 
Now, it's it's not the case in every in every part of the country and with specific specific people, but I do think it's it's a problem that we have um, that we need to address. So, you know, this this research and this book is one way to to try and start looking at that and um, hopefully create some more debate about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote Robbie Burns. So he 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 said, of course, to, it's a privilege to see ourselves as others see us, and mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I bring that question up because I mean I knew you were you were doing that bit of research. I, I didn't know you were writing a book, so that's really interesting. But it is the right question to ask. Um, you know, I th- I wonder um, is the is I don't want to be unfair, but is there are there organisations or people sort of making use of the term pharmacist and pharmacy rather than starting with the question that you've asked, you know, what actually is it? Um, I do think, and I also think it's a, it's really hard to define because it will be a moving feast and we're, you know, we, like medicine, we are such a diverse um, profession now. Mm. Mm. And there's a lot, you know, just look at the UK, there's, the sands are shifting, aren't they? You know, the, we've got this drive of uh, pharmacists, the workforce moving into general practice and arguably starting to move away from community pharmacy and mm. we've got our hospital colleagues and then we've got all the niche um, industry and, and other career routes um, like yourself, graphic design and marketing, and that, that is an unusual route. But mm-hmm. So, so if, I, I'd be intrigued to read your findings because it, I wonder, is it a feeling what a pharmacist is? Is it a, is it a set of characteristics? Is it, is it behavior driven? Mm. I, I, I think like, it's. You know, I, don't, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, I and I and I think it's a it's a mixture of all of those things and others that we don't really understand yet. And that's why I think it's an interesting area to to do you know to carry out some research, um, because I think it is so fundamental. And this is what I was trying to do with it was trying to get to what is the most fundamental driver for how how people perceive pharmacy and therefore interact with pharmacy and pharmacists. And in the end. I came up with with that simple question. You know, it's how people perceive us, what they understand us to be, will drive what they ask us to help them with. And that doesn't matter whether they're an individual patient or whether they're a, you know, a commissioner um, or whether they're a politician uh, defining the, the direction of travel. What they perceive us to be and their understanding of our profession will drive how they how they act and how they behave and their decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that we've really had a strong grasp of that um in in recent decades um and i think you know potentially we've suffered a, a little bit from that and I, I you know i think the the people representing pharmacy are, are working really hard and doing as good a job as physically possible and these things but these things take years if not decades to, to to have an effect with you know you mentioned um our gp colleagues and and ultimately i think as a profession they've they they've managed the their, their brand, if you like, far more effectively over a far longer period of time than we as pharmacists have. Um, and I think that, you know, that was one of the reasons why I started off in this on this journey of understanding brand and marketing to try and un, try and learn how we can use the techniques and processes and approaches used by a wide range of different organizations, individuals, countries, every other type of sort of group of humans you can imagine across the planet to influence how they are viewed for ourselves and for our own benefit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an interesting example. Yesterday, I was doing a, a, a customer focus group for a client with patients with who come into their pharmacy every day, and um, and we wanted to learn more about how they perceived the pharmacy, how they perceived pharmacy in context of other healthcare options, and how they perceived um, the the services and the benefits and the advantages that pharmacy offers. So it was a case of. Um, you know, asking over a period of an hour, asking a, a wide range of questions. And as always with a focus group, you learn far more than you ever thought you would. Um, and one of, one of the clearest learnings for me, um, and this has been borne out in focus groups before, is that patients will be fantastic at telling us how to make what we do now better than it is. So they'll tell us, you know, access isn't as great as it could be. We need more parking or we'd like you to be open longer or we'd like you to be cheaper, for example. Well, what they won't tell you is we'd like you to provide this X, Y, Z service that you don't currently provide because that's just not the way they think. You know, to do that, we need to be proactive ourselves and and, and, and drive the agenda forward in terms of um, finding new incomes, finding new income streams and um, developing them professionally and delivering them. Uh, professionally as well at a profit mm. so you know it's 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 very interesting there how we're perceived and the perception was is borne out when you when you take the time to actually speak to the people who use your services direct face to face and listen to them and they will tell you the answer they will tell you how you're perceived um, and you will learn a huge amount through that when you know how you're perceived then you can start thinking about how to take action to influence how you're perceived in a way that will benefit your own pharmacy, but also pharmacy as a profession. One one thing, one thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, like how how the market lies, or how what what the lie of the land is in community pharmacy across across the whole of the UK. Because we've had so, so the context to this bit of the conversation is like, I think we've had stability probably for the last, you know, twenty thirty years, arguably, um, and I think back to um you know pre nhs times pharmacists were, were you know well they had to be much more entrepreneurial um and then the supply function came along and we to be honest we've done really quite well out of it um so do you think bringing that sort of conversation forward to today do you think we've lost our sort of entrepreneurial let's say clinical entrepreneurial spark maybe as pharmacists i think you know this is this is exactly the, the kind of research i've been doing um to inform inform the, um answering the question what is a pharmacist i think the sensible place to start that was to look back in history at well what was a pharmacist in the past and how has it changed and what is it now so you know i had a I had a really a really deep look at um the history of pharmacy and pharmacists and, and noticed a, a real point of change in the UK, certainly at the point of um, when the NHS was established. It was a fantastic organization and I, I, I love it. Um, and it had an immense effect on pharmacists. Um, so suddenly pharmacists um, received an unprecedented number of prescriptions through the door because previous to the NHS, the vast majority of prescriptions were dispensed by GPs. Um, and by uh, physicians and suddenly the numbers of prescriptions went through the roof 
prior to that, pharmacists were the people who spent their time on the counter talking to patients, um, determining what how they could help that patient, and then preparing um, medicines to actually treat them with and selling those medicines. Um, suddenly, with a huge increase in number of prescriptions, the pharmacist didn't have time to speak to patients anymore and disappeared into the back of the pharmacy physically and spent all of their time keeping up with, with demand for prescriptions, preparing medicines and dispensing them. So that was the point at which the pharmacist ceased to be a, a, a visible um, a visible um, part of a pharmacy and, and disappeared into the back. And since then, yeah, since then for many, many years, we've suddenly been, um, you know, we're, we're not visible anymore. And our interactions with patients were actually massively reduced at that point in time, just because of the demand of prescriptions. Now, we all know that the number of prescriptions has grown and grown and grown and grown. So there's, there's been no way of getting out of that cycle. Um, and it's had, a, it's had a very big impact. And the pharmacist has become so busy and so focused on process um, for, for all the right reasons. We needed to keep accuracy and safety and all those kind of things that, um, you know, our, and, and the rise and dominance of the NHS uh, revenue in, it, in any given community pharmacy has been so um, overwhelming that the, the time and the opportunity to think entrepreneurially about how can we secure other income streams and frankly, the need to do so just reduced to, to such an extent as new new generations of pharmacists qualified and started to find their feet in the profession they um they didn't necessarily learn the entrepreneurial skills that pharmacists pre-1948 had and had to learn to survive mm. so in a way albeit it's a fantastic institution the nhs has been a, a challenge for pharmacy and, and dramatically changed what a pharmacist is um, and that that's one of the things i found most interesting and i think now that we're we're approaching a time when that nhs revenue is um is changing in its nature um we're suddenly waking up to the fact that actually that we we need to we need to relearn or reinvigorate those entrepreneurial skills we used to have and think outside of the nhs contract to succeed in the future um, and our, our reliance and complete assurance that the nhs contract will provide is is dissipating i think do you think? I mean, that's fascinating, Gavin. Do you think? Do you think then, over the years, we've? Oh, it's diff this is a difficult one because it sort of points the finger at contractors a bit, <laughs> but there's no way to avoid it. I mean, you know, because because we've done reasonably well with the primary customer, i.e., the NHS. Do you think mm -hmm. then, or would it be fair to say that we've maybe underinvested? In ourselves I think there's um you know people will respond to um to demands that are placed upon them aren't they and, and the demand that was placed upon pharmacists in recent decades has been to keep up with with um with the increase in prescription volume and to keep up with the um the um the increase in demand for um for healthcare that can be provided through pharmacy through advice and, and, and sales and medicines there hasn't been a need to do anything else so why would there wouldn't there was no drive to develop other skills, other abilities, other income streams for so long? Because just capturing as much of, of possible as possible of what seemed an almost endless supply of revenue through the NHS contract was what was successful. That was what was classed as success. It was all about market share. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the larger companies 
were absolutely focused on capturing market share through increasing um, prescription delivery and increasing um, you know um, percentage of, of CDS trays and all those kind of things and that was all about market share and that was what um, that was the message and that was that those were the goals that were given to pharmacists certainly in the in the corporate environment for so long that I think it's it's kind of, it's almost changed our mindset um, and I think um, you know the number of pharmacies has obviously grown at the same time and that was all about keeping up with demand what's changed now is that that demand is 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 um, is moving position in terms of um, the, the the reliability of, of the demand through the NHS um, the the continuity of it the how sure we can be that it will be there in the future and how profitable it will be so we've all had to suddenly think uh, differently uh, and I think people are starting to wake up to that and and starting to wonder well what can I do but I, I get the sense that certainly from from a lot of clients that, that I speak to and also a lot of a lot of prospective clients that I speak to that they're, they're, they're trying to answer that question is okay well I can see there's something here I need to do but what do I need to do how how do I grow my business how do I make it more successful yeah do you think we're like it's fairly obvious that we're you know the NHS revenue is diminishing isn't it certainly in England we're we're hanging in there in, in Scotland and and um mm. for, for various reasons it's a wee bit different up here mm. um but do you think that moment of pivot so you know the Bosropian sort of necessity is the mother of invention type mm. type tipping point moment where where the sector or individual businesses within the sector have to pivot is coming closer and 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 with it i suppose the question off the back of that is if that happens and businesses start to fall off um or fall over do you see a green shoots of something different emerging i mean for example what i'm what i'm getting at there is the the kind of startup community pharmacy I mean, we, every mm. other more or less every other sector has a a vibrant sort of startup scene mm. But, but that just doesn't exist in community pharmacy, as far as I can see. Well, I, I, I think it's, I think, yeah, it, you know, maybe that's a function of of the way that we've um, we've structured the profession and how people move yeah. into it and how people develop through it and and the the lessons that we've taught them and the goals we've given them and and all those different things. But I think, you know, that yes, the it, it will change and it is changing and. Um, there is opportunity, and I, I'm, I've got a lot of faith in, in the in the pharmacist population that they've got the skill, the knowledge, the experience, the drive, the commitment, the tenacity, everything that's required to actually be successful continually. I don't think you know we're 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 at a point where you know this is the 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 beginning of the end, if you like. For me, this is just a, a point of change, and it's an uncomfortable one. It's a, and there's a transition period I think we're going through, but certainly a lot of the clients I work with are, are, are very pioneering and, and thoughtful and visionary in terms of what what do we need to do to try and um, to try and create a new brighter future for pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And for me, they 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 come to me to to help with with branding and marketing because that is part of the solution. Um, you know, unlike a lot of a lot of. Um, people who are selling something, they say that my solution is the solution. I'm certainly not like that. You know, it's it, marketing and branding is part of the solution. There's a whole host of other things you need to be good at as well. But one thing I don't think we've 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 um, we've done hardly at all, certainly in the independent area sector, 
is marketing a branding um, and if we do it's very sporadic it tends to be um, it tends to be pretty knee-jerk rather than planned um, it tends to be based upon the latest trends rather than um, any particular strategy or plan um, and, it, and, and it's pretty inconsistent so um, I think for me the reason I'm interested in this area is because I, I feel that this is this is the area that's very exciting about what pharmacy can, how pharmacy can develop and, and grow in the future. There's, you know, branding and marketing is about the point at which your business comes into contact with with patients and customers. That is that is the interface between your business and the outside world. And whether it's a stakeholder, uh, you know, a commissioner, or whether it's a patient, it's still when they come into contact with your business, they they you're updating their impression and their view of your business which will drive their behaviors towards it. And for me, that's that's very exciting. You know, when I was operations and marketing director for a group of 20 pharmacies um, that we'd built from zero up to 20 pharmacies, I, 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 over a number of years, I, I came to the realization that, you know, that, that bit is, is fundamentally the key bit. It is the business in a lot of senses. And it's, you know, it's, it's not downplaying the importance of any other function within a business. They're all critical for the whole thing to work and stand up. But the bit that I think actually makes the biggest difference is how how you, um, how that interface and how you interact with your patient and your customer. Because although, yes, 90 plus percent of our of our revenues in previous years have been driven by NHS, that's still at the, the, the activation of that revenue is still driven by the customer choice, the individual mm -hmm. customer choice. Yes, we have to win a contract, um, and yes, and it might be a local one or a national one. But beyond that, that doesn't guarantee that customers are going to come through your door and activate the revenue associated with that contract. That's based upon how well you market and you communicate and you interact and how well you deliver those services to that specific community and the individuals within it. So for me i think the people there are some people who are naturally good at that and I, I you know i can see them in in the in the in the profession doing some great stuff and i admire them and I, you know i follow what they do and, and look what they do but there's an awful lot of us who, who struggle with it um because the way we've made money in the past to make more money was to buy better fundamentally grow you grow your market share and buy better and that's been great and it's been very reliable um, but I do think that the situation is changing now and therefore we need to look at other ways to do it. So at a contractor level, understanding that and using it as a tool is a real advantage because not everybody is. So if you're good at that, you've got an advantage. At a professional level, if we can harness those that skill and those that knowledge and those, those techniques to promote the profession of pharmacy over years, we can influence the people who will ultimately be making decisions about how we fit into the structures in the future. Hmm. It's very, it, it really is the key question, isn't it? Which is why I'm kind of dwelling on it. But so mm. if, if you and I, let's say we managed to raise some investment, mm -hmm. um, and we, we went into business together tomorrow and we bought, let's say we started with a pharmacy and we, we were, you know, you were you were keen to sort of not that you need to prove yourself, but you wanted to do the the growth piece again, mm -hmm. like you did with the the group. So I take it based on what you've said, I, I take it sort of going for market share and then driving efficiency um, was the key strategy for that. Was it for your previous business? It, it was, but we also we also built into that. Um... A uh, very enthusiastic adaptation, adoption of, of every 
commission service that was possible in the location as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the average income from what we call professional services at that point, so everything outside of supply in the national contract, if you like, was um, we, we were exceeding that by four times in, in the vast majority of our pharmacies. And that wasn't particularly through any, you know, um, specific talent other than enthusiasm to, 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 to take up all of the contracts and then, you know, determination to deliver them to the best of our ability. So, so there was an element even back then and 10 years ago around, um, you know, maximizing the available revenue streams outside of the supply service. Because, you know, we talk about services and services are the, the answer for pharmacy. Well, as far as I'm concerned, supply is a service. So I don't think it's the right word, really. But ultimately, um, market share was 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 and still is critical now, you know, and efficiency still is critical now. So I think if we were to set up our business tomorrow um, and, and we secured funding, uh, which would be fantastically simple if it was if it was that easy. Um, you know, it would still be built for the time being upon a base, uh, a foundation of um, market share and um, and efficiency, because it, as you know, the contract is still very dominant, um, despite um, indications that it is moving in a different way. Volume is still absolutely critical to success, and efficiency is absolutely critical to success. But there's other reasons why why that that footfall driven by volume of prescriptions is very useful um, is because it, it brings people into the pharmacy when those people come into the pharmacy you have an opportunity to um, communicate with them and to sell them x y or z which is not to do with prescription supply if they're not in your pharmacy there, there are other ways to reach them but the best situation is they come into your pharmacy and you've got the opportunity to sell so footfall uh, and, and uh, market share is still very relevant for a number of different reasons, but certainly for driving opportunity through other services. Um, you know, I think one of the, again, it's looking at some of the things we've done as a profession in the past. Um, if you look at them through a slightly different lens, they 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 take on a different um, a different sort of character. So, you know, thinking about the delivery services that we that we all. Um, that we all set up x many years ago yeah. a fantastic service for patients do a great job there are genuinely people out there who need home delivery services are fantastic there are even people who don't need them but we deliver to which is you know i don't have a particular problem with that the fact that we set them up and we didn't um and we offered them for free was seen as a, a sensible com- way to gain competitive advantage over your com- other pharmacies at that time um and and then everybody set them up so the initial ones that set them up it was a competitive advantage other pharmacies copied that and then it became a point of parity i.e between different companies you had to have a delivery service for free if you wanted to be at least equal to your competitors if you didn't want to be worse than your competitors and that's a really important point from that perspective the other the other point though which i think is really interesting and important as well is by setting up delivery services we we pushed the the interaction between pharmacist and patient further away from um, from our pharmacy again. So you know, 1948, NHS was established. Pharmacists end up disappearing into the back of the pharmacy, so less time in front of patients. Set up delivery services. We didn't. The patients didn't even have to come into the pharmacy, so we pushed them away again. And then there was it was almost as if we were. Um, 
in a way that could signal if you you know in some people's minds the interaction with the pharmacist is actually very important in terms of medicine supply um and that may have had an effect on the people now making decisions about our value and whether pharmacy is actually just a logistics function or is it something more mm. we chose to do that you know we we chose to do that for very sensible commercial reasons at the time but maybe we didn't think about some of the impacts that might have on the how people perceive our profession and the value we can add that's really interesting so do you think do you think off the back of that then you know maybe hepler and strand's pharmaceutical care concept hasn't kind of cut through enough um i don't hear it mentioned anywhere else mm. in scotland to be honest yeah i think there's there's there's, there's certainly um because I've, I've been thinking about how how can community pharmacy um as it has existed for, for x many years now in, in the past decade how can that um effectively um combat remote supply of medicines what is it that when that when that big player comes along and and you know courts the uh, courts the government courts the nhs and says we can supply the prescriptions for for this part of the country or the, the whole of england um through this remote supply through you know apps websites etc what is it that we can do and say and prove and demonstrate that actually means that that is not the best model because we need to be ready for that. We need to have an answer. We need to have thought it through. We need to have some evidence to be able to say, well, actually, you could do that, but you're losing X, Y, and Z. And we all know that that's pretty important to do. But I haven't seen a great deal as yet, and, and you know, that that, that would be um, robust enough to put in front of people. But even you know, through that conversation, it was one one focus group yesterday. I when when we were talking about which pharmacies you're aware of no one mentioned online pharmacies um and online pharmacies have got some real great benefits don't get me wrong you know i helped to build some of them i think in the right context they can be very useful and remote remote um access to services through pharmacy is part of the future and for lots of good reasons but these guys weren't thinking about that so i delved into it and asked them some more detail and there, there was definitely a sense that um they felt medicines were um weren't you know, an ordinary article of commerce. They weren't like a book. They weren't like some groceries that you, you, you're comfortable ordering over the internet with um, through a faceless remote um, source. They felt that the, 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 the relationship they had with the individual pharmacists added huge amounts of value and the trust and reassurance that they were getting the right medicine or the right service, the right advice was very, very important to them. Um, and I'm sure, fairly sure, that um, it would be a similar, similar um, set of sentiments with groups if you of patients if you spoke to them around the country. Yeah. Um, so I think you know that's pretty important. I think it's fun. that conversation again. It's a really good chat. That conversation is absolutely fundamental to the success, particularly of community pharmacy. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give <laughs> give myself a plug. My um, <laughs> we we well, I coined a phrase this year called. Uh, technoceutical care mm. and the reason I did that was to sort of try and shift the conversation to the application of technology around the pharmaceutical care agenda mm. and I think I think pharmaceutical care needs rebranded I think it needs sort of like a a relaunch now that it was it is it was and is still visionary um, but I just wonder, does it need revamped? And 
the the technoceutical care idea came from my belief that 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 for years pharmacists have been flying blind you know any pharmaceutical care advice we have generally isn't really recorded is it i mean there's some mm. pockets now like with the the chronic medication service in scotland the new medication service mrs we, mm. we we did begin that process to to record but i think that the exciting opportunity for community pharmacy either remotely or in person is to, is to basically to mine that data when uh, that's produced when a when a medicine passes the the dispensing bench so what happens to the medicine when the patient gets at home if we could as a if we could collectively start to gather and understand that in an appropriate sensible way then then I think that that changes the game again because can you imagine you know like like let's just say oh, any any medicine like um, let's take asthma so you know patient gets prescribed um, a ventolin and a clenal let's say they've got late onset asthma and they're a bit wheezy they present and this is the prescription they've got mm. so the technoceutical care planning process would involve a, a, a plan being set up in that moment with the patient and then and then you know an agreed sort of schedule of interactions which which may involve a bit of machine learning and so on so, mm. so what what might that look like well the 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 platform may ask the patient you know a week into treatment how are you feeling and knowing knowing most asthmatics they'll probably say oh fine <laughs> you know mm. but then but then maybe a week later there could be a drip to simply ask, well, how many times have you used that blue inhaler? Oh, actually, I've used it three times a day. And then you start to get, you know, you start to build a bit of a, a data set. Um, and what if that was fed back to the pharmacist in the community pharmacy or remotely sort mm -hmm. of in real time? You know, I mean, it, I, I, I honestly think that's that's where community, I hope, will go. And I hope, I hope the technical care idea kind of catches on for that reason because there's um there's so much within that one one thing i think you mentioned the gps earlier one thing they've done is obviously they've protected their brand brilliantly mm. but they've also protected the data right i think you know the patient record is where it's at you know mm. at the risk of sounding a bit cynical that whoever sees that and has access to that really understands the whole story of of the patient and i know pharmacists that are moving into general practice and i get that privilege but there's so much information within that 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 community pharmacists have never had and i suppose mm. to finish that sort of borderline rant um <laughs> have we let ourselves down maybe because we haven't sort of gathered data and just you know data sounds a bit fancy but have we have we let ourselves down by not recording what mm. we do well enough, I think it, it's that's a fascinating area, isn't it? And there's all sorts going on in in terms of what you've just said. You, you know, the technoceutical idea is certainly a great phrase. I love that phrase. But the the fact that we we've we've not uh, the fact that we we operate fundamentally in a very similar way to the way we have done for 30, 40, 50 years. If you walk into a community pharmacy, it's very similar to the way it would have been 50 years ago in terms of layouts, in terms of workflows, yeah. et cetera. Even though the work we do is developing rapidly right now, we're doing it in the same space and shape and workflows that we ever have done. 
But you're right, I think we're also behind the curve in terms of using um, appropriate technology which enhances uh, the care that we, we provide rather than getting in the way of it to, to support us, both in terms of delivery of care, but also in terms of recording of care, developing an evidence base for the care we provide and, and the, the, you know, the outcomes that, that result from that which then enable us to, to um, promote the work that we do far more robustly than we have done. Um, and I think, you know, I really do hope that that is part of the future as well in that we, we're, we're capable of doing that. Um, you know, for me, the, 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 one of the, the bright dawns for pharmacy, albeit it moves out of community pharmacy, but, uh, you know, hopefully there would be, there would be strong links between it is, is um, pharmacists becoming independent prescribers. Mm. Um, and the opportunity that raises, albeit with challenges as well, but let's think about the opportunities for a while. One of the, the reasons I think um, we've been looked at differently again to, to GPs and the, one of the reasons, for example, GPs might look at us differently is because um, while maybe we have relationships with, with patients over years, those relationships are um, clinically a more superficial level and have been in the past okay so you know that's borne out by the fact that we we don't see the entire picture which we've just discussed yeah um we we'd love to be more uh, have a relationship at a deeper level and have more more um more sight of, of of the the whole patient and i think that the independent prescriber role um is fascinating because it offers pharmacists over time the opportunity to develop a much deeper long-lasting relationship with individual patients pursue their care and, and and look after that patient for years and years and years um and will and should provided we we position it right and and, and demonstrate it and ca capture that process should help to change how pharmacists are viewed in that um we will we will have an equal standing with other clinicians who do the same thing because at the moment we're you know understandably we're perceived as um as pharmacists our key role is to supply medicines based upon the action of another so our action is triggered by the action of another rather than being triggered by the patient themselves whereas an independent prescriber's actions and behaviors and choices are triggered by the patient themselves so there's there's not a, there's nothing in between we don't an independent pharmacist prescriber pharmacist doesn't have to wait for someone else to say please do this it's a case of I've, I've examined the patient i've taken a history i understand um you know i've done a differential diagnosis i know what what the right steps are and i can now apply those and if over time if we can continually um, prove that we're capable of that and, and that we can do it effectively and capture the evidence and, and demonstrate our ability I believe that could change the way pharmacists are perceived. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, but we need to we need to make sure that we make people aware of it, though, and we don't just do it quietly in the corner and and do a great well, job yeah. and get ignored. You know. Yeah, you're spot on. And one of I, do I have an? I'm not sure if I've got an opinion on this. It's just it's more an observation, Gavin. That that move of pharmacists into general practice. I wonder. You know, are pharmacists working in general practice welcome guests? Is it their home? Mm -hmm. Not sure. Question mark. And 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 what long term effect or impact on our profession will the erosion of the contractor model? You know, you mm -hmm. you said it, you said it perfectly that um, GPs are excellent at protecting their brand, but what they're actually protecting, yes, on one hand, it's a brand, but they're also protecting the contractor 
status that they've got. Mm. Mm. Um, and that gives them bargaining power, um, which they've exploited very well over the years. But I yeah, just, well, you see, I'm not convinced about the erosion of the contractor base uh, in terms of pharmacists. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm observing that it that it needs to change, and that we need to do things differently. But actually, I see a time of, of more opportunity rather than anything else. I think, mm -hmm. you know, if you do look at the, the history of, of the pharmacy profession since, you know, the, the records began, uh, which I have done in, in this year, the, it's a constant story of, of um, competition with other groups for who, who, has the, who has access to prescribing, who has access to uh, making clinical decisions, who has access to supply of medicines, all those kind of things. And, and we're actually getting closer now in terms of what the pharmacist role is developing into and may well do over the next X many years to what pharmacists were um, when they were pre-pharmacists, if you like, in, when they were apothecaries, when they were able to actually diagnose, although, albeit they weren't, they weren't allowed to be paid for the diagnosis, they were only paid for the supply, they could still diagnose and look after the patient. And we're edging back towards that direction which actually is, is difficult. And I know that a lot of people would disagree with me on this, but I think you know, it is an opportunity of huge challenge for, for community pharmacy, but an opportunity of huge, a time of huge opportunity for both community pharmacy and other, um, other areas and, and you know, practice settings for practice, because it's, it's up to us to choose what we make of it. You know, the, the barriers to actually getting involved are less now than they have been in the past in different areas of practice and different ways to practice. Um, and it, it, I think it genuinely is up to us to take it by the horns and stop reacting to things around us and changes and start driving some changes and, um, and, and, and changing, choosing how we practice rather than just responding to how we're, how we're, we're asked to practice, if you like. Definitely, and, um, it's, all, it's all about autonomy, isn't it? You know, I mean, I, mm. as a, as an IP myself, I what a liberating experience it is. However, it comes with, you know, ex, not quite exponentially, but a, a lot more clinical responsibility. You know, and that's that's mm. that, feel, that feels quite different. And then and then there's the whole conversation, Gavin, about like. Well, interestingly, in Scotland this year, they've, they've started to train um, uh, community pharmacists to be independent prescribers. Now, I know that's happened. Mm. But there's there's a there's a strategic move to to nurture that cohort, and and the interesting bit of that for me is, well, politically, it's dead easy to to train loads of prescribers. In fact, Prescription for Excellence, the Scottish mm. government a few years ago, said that every pharmacist should be a an independent prescriber, but the key bit of, of that drive uh, and the and the ultimate success of independent prescribing in, in community pharmacy, if we're talking about that, is is the level of investment post qualification. You know, mm. supervision. Like in a nutshell, can we recreate the GP training model in community pharmacy? Now, if we could do that, that's a very compelling potential product to sell back to the NHS. I feel. Yeah, no, that that's that that is very interesting, and you know, look with admiration at a lot of the things that are happening in Scotland and other contrasts and uh, other contracts, and um, possibly a little bit of jealousy, to be fair. Um, but you know, I do know people and uh, in in England who are also 
in community, working in the community setting, or independent prescribers, and they're searching for and finding ways to use that qualification in that setting already. Um, so I, I won't be surprised if we start seeing community pharmacists in England finding ways to use that to add real benefit for patient um, patients in the day-to-day -day, um, environment of a community pharmacy where, you know, that sits on the, the advantages community pharmacy has in terms of accessibility and um, in terms of, um, you know, lack of appointment systems, in terms of opening hours, in terms of all those different things. So we, we sometimes forget the, the, the real advantages community pharmacy has over and above a lot of other healthcare professionals in terms of location, high footfall locations where there's generally good, you know, there's generally good con transport links, there's good access, there's good opening hours, there's, um, you know, there's, there's good quality advice, there's no appointments, there's all those different advantages. We sometimes forget that those are huge competitive advantages in the interprofessional competition. And we haven't really, we, we've tried and we're aware of them a bit, but we haven't really got a handle on how can we use those. Because unless we leverage them to provide um, uh, better outcomes for patients and more value for patients through delivering the right kind of services and developing those ourselves, then the, the, we've kind of got advantages we're not really using all that much. Um, but I certainly think that in, you know, pharmacists being, having them, Having a wider role that we decide to to create and and develop is 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 a key part of the the, the way forward for community pharmacy and interacting and 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 uh, collaborating with pharmacists in other settings as well to yeah. to to for the benefit of patients ultimately um, and and hopefully to support you know individual patients but on a public health scale as well and I don't think that any of this is easy you know it's easy for us two to sit here and talk about it oh, I think any, <laughs> you know it's it's not easy to do intellectually to try and work out what to do and how to do it it's there's such complex questions with so many different elements to them it's not easy emotionally in terms of having the courage to to do it and to actually commit to it and you know for contractors there's the commercial risk of shall I try this shall I invest in doing this shall I Shall I go through the training? Shall I pay for it? Will it actually deliver a return, or am I just throwing things that you know money against the wall? Um, and then there's the opportunity cost. There's all sorts of different challenges in the way of doing this. But for me, you know, the, the bigger risk is is choosing not to go through that process and to choose to do nothing, because it it seems pretty clear that the the you know the world around us is pushing us in in a particular direction, um, and and. You know we're not entirely happy about that direction um so with the the option of doing nothing seems to be the least attractive albeit would be the easiest you know it'd just be pretty sure i think that's for sure absolutely what a good what a good chat very interesting talking to you guys um no it is it's, it's, it's the, the, you're asking it starts from it started with that question what is a pharmacist and you're, you're you know what such a clever question to to think up, you know, and it just gets it's something I've been pondering for ages, and I'm as I say, looking forward to next year when you publish. Um, <clears throat> moving on, something else I want to ask you about <clears throat> before we finish, um, because your 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 business is is a marketing consultancy business, mm. um, a bit self indulgent, but. We were we, like I was really happy with the logo you did for for pharmacy and practice. So, mm. like, talk talk me through the process of that. Like, what's in your head when you're 
when you approach a project like that and what like how did you arrive at what you finally produced for us which which we were really happy with okay um that's a good question it's um it's not one you often get asked in 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 pharmacy circles but it's a good question so i think for me the the that's a question around how how do you develop a brand identity for an organization you know whether whatever type of organization that is and i guess the first step is 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 what you might call exploration or diagnosis if, if you like which is making sure you understand in as much detail as as possible based upon the constraints you're under what that organization is about what it what does it do who are the people involved in it how long has it existed what are the activities what is its overall goals um what do customers think about it um how would you describe it what what are the what are the key um why, why does it exist fundamentally and why should people care that's 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 a phrase that people have used in the past to try and ex- express this so if you can learn about the organization and try to get to the bottom of it and that's a that's the key part of that because ultimately a lot of time clients um they really they really do have it in them and they understand what it is they're trying to do and and, and what it is that their organization stands for but they sometimes can find it hard to articulate mm-hmm. and to to crystallize that um and you know don't get me wrong i'm not um, a, a savant in that but ultimately sometimes when you're doing it yourself and it's your own business it can be hard to separate and crystallize things out because of so many different aspects floating around your mind so as a, as a external um brand consultant what i can do is help clients to understand that and to distill it and distill it into the the, the core key two or three concepts that that that, that um organization stands for and aspires to and those those um those key concepts then uh, are what feed into the creative process um, and, and, and inform it in terms of, okay, what, what type of um, brand identity do we want it to be? What does it have to communicate? Um, what should it, what should it, um, uh, what, sh- what should it be? What should it be in terms of uh, opposite ends of different scales, if you like? So you might have, um, you might have professional at one end and you might have fun at the other end of a scale. Where should it sit on that scale? And then you might have um, you might have geographically located or you might have um, uh, global and remote on the other end of a scale. So there's all these different scales that you try and pinpoint where that brand sits and then create an identity which which meets um, and communicates the key elements of that. One of the things. One of the things, and this this is really important, so I'll share this one. One of the things that's really important about brand identity is not to expect it to do too much, okay? Because ultimately, clients often want a brand identity to tell the entire story about their, their brand, where it's come from. Every, they want it to say everything, which if any, any designer starts off on that journey with them and tries to create a brand identity that does that, it will generally end in in, um, in a in a poor product at the end because fundamentally the role of a brand identity is is to be distinct, i.e., different from everything else out there, because that then gives you a chance at least to associate to for people to associate that brand identity with your business specifically. So if it looks like one of your competitors or some other brand in some other um, sector that they're aware of. The chance of, of um, building strong associations with between that brand identity and your business 
is is um, hindered. It's it's a less less good chance of doing it. So distinct distinctiveness is an absolute key part of it. It needs to be. It needs to look like itself. Is one way you can put it. Mm. And it, and and that's then um, something that you can then continually continually apply. And over time, people will come to associate that particular look, that particular color palette, that particular um, topography, that particular. Um, photographic style, etc. that tone of voice in terms of the writing, they will come to associate all of those things with your brand so that when they see that identity, they will know that it represents your brand. And it takes time because, you know, humans are, um, need to learn these things. And, you know, one other thing that we forget about with brands is that the brand owner thinks about the brand 8, 9, 10, 24 hours a day. But the people, that the, the customers of that brand might think about it for eight seconds a day. And that's, you know, we, we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that customers are thinking about our brands often. They're really not. So the creative process sort of is informed by that initial research. There's then multiple variations, and this, this is the creative element of it, which, which um, a lot of scientists can feel uncomfortable with. Um, but ultimately, it's then about trying to, to, to match um, and represent the, the, the organization in, in visual and graphical form to tell some element of the story which is unique and different and will communicate something, the key things about that organization in a way that um, is simple and simplicity is always best. So um, a number of different options are generally created and then, you know, we, we select the best ones of those and share those with clients and then and then debate them and discuss them and, and, and get a response from it. Um, you know, what if if we if we settle on one that the client likes themselves, fantastic. But ultimately, really, that's not actually necessary. <laughs> if, you know, it's, it does because what matters is, is it appealing to the customer base and is it something the customer base will remember? So often there's 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 debates around um which identity will be the most effective compared to which one the the, the brand owner actually likes the most um so it, i guess in terms of once you get to that point you, you pick a preferred option and then you you ultimately refine and perfect it um and with um with the pharmacy and practice brand you know i think you might recognize some of the stages we went through with that process absolutely yeah and uh, one of the point, one of the reasons I asked that question was, um, well, obviously I'm a fan of dose design because I am, I am mm -hmm. a customer technically, but <laughs> yeah. um, although it doesn't feel like that, but one of the things I was going to say off the back of that answer was that um, going through that process as a as a business owner is really really helpful because it forces mm -hmm. you to, I don't know what would I say it, it forces you to stop and really think about mm. much more than the visual bit of of mm. the brand you know it, it it sort of makes you do a double take of what what you actually stand for and what what you want people to say about you and etc etc yeah. et so it's it's i just i just find the whole i enjoy the process because it is creative but i just find it much more than than the actual sort of mm. image that you come the up visual. with yeah. And yeah. I think that, you know, that is a bit that often surprises clients in that, you know, that they don't expect that that bit around digging into what what they what their organization is, what they're trying to achieve and, and really getting them to to think about it and answer some questions. Um, and they don't expect the, the sort of the gentle um, 
the gentle pressing in, on, in terms of that answer was pretty good, but there's more behind that I can tell and, you know, asking more questions around it. So, the, you know, that brand identity work is, is, is as much about understanding who you are and what you want to be as it is then reflecting that visually to give you something that you can then use consistently and coherently over time to build associations with your brand. Mm. Um, but it's, a, you know, that that's one of the, one of the key things we've done and um you know with pharmacy in practice it was one of those those enjoyable projects where you know we kept we kept, we we developed a, a concept which which seemed to just capture what we were trying to do wasn't it with um yeah it just seemed to work didn't it yeah, yeah with the with the concept of the the t turned into a cross representing pharmacy within the word practice so it was lit literally pharmacy in the word practice which just seemed when 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 um when it first drew that with a paper and pencil because that's where it always starts because it's a very creative medium um it just jumped off the pages we think this is the solution and then it's you know then it was about refining that wasn't it and just just turning it into something usable Absolutely. but i think the other the other aspect then is you know that 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 work around um helping clients think about and really consider what it is they're doing and how they do it and why they do it and all of those all of those things that's actually one of the most enjoyable aspects of, of the work I do around around brands um, because I think clients generally get the most value out of it. So I do I do projects with 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 um, with some clients which don't involve any design at all. They're all around consultancy um, and around understanding what their organisation is, who their customers are, what their customers think, and how we might um deliver services that meet those needs in it and, and you know communicate those very effectively and i find those those projects as enjoyable as the design projects is it's because it's still creative it's still a, it's still about um understanding people and it's about creativity but it's about creativity in a way that really adds value to what you're trying to do um Absolutely. so you know i find those projects as enjoyable as the design projects um it's been brilliant speaking to you, Gavin. Um, really interesting. Um, as I say, you're asking you're asking the right questions, and, and mm -hmm. uh, it's great to see how Dose Design has really established itself actually as well. One great. one one final question, if I may, mm. um, kind of kind of trademark question. To be honest, um, mm -hmm. what advice would you would you give to uh, young pharmacists or pharmacy technicians? Who've just come onto the register? <laughs> this is one of my favourite questions um, because I've asked myself that question before. Um, <laughs> I once I once spoke at the BPSA conf BPSA conference um, quite a few years ago and stood in front of an awful lot of those guys. And I was also a lecturer at Bradford Uni for a short while and uh, had the dubious um, distinction of lecturing on the drug tariff, which, believe me, was not easy um, with 200 Ooh, students. Exciting. <laughs> I know. Try and make that exciting. So, um, so education has been re pharmacist education has been really something close to to my heart. And you know, there's um, there's certainly it's a good question because there's certainly a book in me about about some aspects of that, but maybe in a way that you might not imagine. So we might get around to that um, at some point of the coming years. But the the advice. The advice I would give would be to um, believe in yourself, um, to um, continually develop yourself. Don't think that qualification and registration as a pharmacist is the end of the educational journey. It's the beginning of it. And actually, 
the bits that you're about to do next are the most fun because you get to choose exactly what those are. So have a look around, constantly learn, think about what your next um, learning experience is going to be, whether that's a, you know, a, a defined qualification or whether it's an experiential learning, uh, working in a new setting, etc. Um, embrace, uh, embrace thinking outside of pharmacy as well. Try and get some experience outside of the specific sector in some way, even if it's volunteering in a different sector. Because when you step outside of the pharmacy profession into a different profession or a different, a different, um, a different work environment, often you'll look back into pharmacy and think, do you know what? It's actually quite nice over there. There are a lot of advantages to pharmacy. I think I might go back in. But you'll probably come back in with a different mindset and a different paradigm and decide I'm going to approach things differently now with this, that and the other. Um, I would seek out good mentors who you can um, learn from and develop with. I've been lucky enough to have, you know, three, four, five of those at different points in my career who helped to develop me in all sorts of directions I never knew I would develop in. Um, and also, you know, if you see something in a way that you think you can contribute and make things better um, that no one else is doing, don't think they're not doing it because it's not a good idea. It might be that, but it's more likely they're not doing it because they haven't spotted it or they don't have the courage to do it or they don't have the time. And if you have got those things, then pursue it and try and find your own way and your own specific opportunity to make a contribution to the profession that um, you can leave as a legacy when you've um, you've navigated your way through over the coming decades. Brilliant, great way to end, great advice. Um, Good stuff. So thank you very much, Gavin. Yeah, really, really, really great chat. And um, look, hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll see you soon and um, you know, bump into you. I know we talk on the phone quite often, but yeah, yep. hopefully, hopefully bump into you in person. Absolutely. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it has actually. It's been great. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank Pharma Doctor. This Pharmacy and Practice podcast is proudly sponsored by Pharma Doctor, supporting over 8,000 UK community pharmacists to deliver over 55 different services. Pharma Doctor is the UK's leading provider of clinical service support packages to pharmacy. To find out more, visit www.pharmadoctor.co.uk. Thank you.